Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, hosted by Michael Colligan, that's me, and my new co-host, Greg Eric. Today on the program, we have Brady Nemeth from the Design Lights Consortium, the DLC. Brady is a program specialist working on the DLC's Solid State Lighting Program, that's SSL. So if you're a newbie to the business, Solid State Lighting, or SSL, means LED light source. If I have to tell you what LED stands for, you need to get a grip. In addition to general development and maintenance of the program's requirements, he also helps protect the integrity of their QPL or their quality products list. He creates and implements surveillance testing programs, so he's kind of like a lighting spy. Prior to taking on this role, Brady was actually a technical analyst, so he processed applications from manufacturers from around the world, mostly from China and North America, but I'm sure there's some other guys out there. Brady's got a bachelor's degree in international economics and the environment from North Carolina State University in Raleigh. He is also part of the Illuminating Engineering Society of North America's Emerging Professionals Program. Uh, We brought Brady on the show because Greg and I met him at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors Convention. Uh, Brady was there as an ambassador from from the DLC, and uh, as it happens, it turns out that distributors and contractors have been ignored, I think, as stakeholders in the DLC's program, and, and Brady has had the audacity to kind of push for adding distributors and, and contractors and other people in the trenches to the DLC stakeholder list. And so we really appreciated that Brady came on the show. He answered most of our questions. Um, he dodged a few. But uh, Greg and I really learned a lot from our conversation with Brady, and we hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, I give you Brady Nemeth. Hello, Brady. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Say hi to Greg Eric. Hey, Greg. What's up? Hey, Brady. How are you? Not too bad. Can't complain. All right. You're Where are you right now, Brady? You're down in California? Uh, I am in North Carolina. I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. So somewhere south of you by a couple hundred miles. Do you work from your home? I do. I, uh, I work remote. Yeah, uh, so the DLC, most people probably know it uh, specifically from the SSL QPL or, you know, the Solid State Lighting Qualified Products list for for longhand there. Uh, That was born somewhere in the late 2000s and 2007-ish. Sort of Energy Star decided not to get into the commercial and industrial side of uh, Solid State Lighting, so... There was kind of a, a market need, and the DLC filled in. And so, this is the is the sole purpose of the DLC to um, help hydro electricity utilities govern their rebate programs. So you know, I won't bore you with whatever the mission statement is. I don't really have <laughs> have it memorized or anything like that. Uh, but basically, we're after accelerating the adoption of high-performing and high-quality commercial and industrial lighting, uh, obviously, uh, as it pertains to SSL. So we are kind of a common, a common resource for our members, which are uh, utilities and energy efficiency programs in the U.S. and Canada. Um, so that's kind of how we, we fall into the middle of everything there. Who is your customer? You know, that's a good question. Uh, it's, we're, it's not a, you know, we're not a for-profit business, so we don't really, you know, fall into that typical paradigm. We essentially have a couple. Uh, you know, we kind of 
we refer to everyone as stakeholders because everyone kind of plays a different part. We have, uh, obviously, like I said, the members that we're trying to serve, but yet we also have all of the manufacturers that we're trying to serve. Without, you know, if we completely neglected one or only paid attention to one, the program wouldn't exist. You know, if we only listened to what the utilities wanted, they would, you know, push, 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 push for efficacy and quality, and perhaps there wouldn't be any products that ended up on the QPL. Um, so we also have to take into account, you know, manufacturers and what, what's realistic uh, to achieve in the marketplace. And at the same time, uh, if it was up to manufacturers, you know, perhaps they would want to slow down, uh, you know, how much efficacy they're pushing, how high quality they're pushing. So it's kind of a, it's a give and take from both sides, and we try and fit in and sort of mediate that. I, I think there's a so here's let me just throw you a side comparison that you know is not immediately clear when you encounter it. You take a, a company like Google or Facebook and you say, who is the customer of Google? And people say, well, no, the, 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 the person who uses Google, who, who searches for things on Google. But when you really look at the fundamentals of the business, um, the, the, the product is the person searching for things on Google. And the customer is the person paying for Google AdWords. And so I guess the better question would be, where does the funding for the DLC come from? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good question, uh, and I'm not a, a CFO or anything, so I can sort of give you a, a general idea. Um, and uh, honestly, I don't even know uh, like proportions or anything like that. But uh, all of our members do have some sort of uh, fee that they pay, um, and I think it's proportional somehow to the size of the program. Uh, I, again, I, I, I'm not really intimately familiar with any of those details. And then, of course, the other side of it is sort of the, the upkeep of the program. So there are application fees that are paid for by the manufacturer. Um, so funding comes from both of those things. Uh, like I said, that's sort of one other thing. Uh, I'd mentioned Energy Star and how we were kind of uh, filling a market need there. Obviously, a program like that is, is government funded, so we don't. Uh, we don't have any government funding or anything like that. We're purely coming from both uh, both utilities, energy efficiency programs, as well as uh, manufacturers. I'm trying to think of any other. Uh, but okay, well, let me ask you this. Let's say um, let's say there was a law, or or somebody um, in uh, Ontario or California where electrical utilities. Uh, governments changed and electrical utilities started sunsetting rebate programs and this turned into a cascade where everybody stopped doing this. Would the DLC have a purpose? Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a great question. I think uh, sort of in a, one of the SSL program managers mentioned this a couple years ago. It's almost like DLC, at least as we currently stand, our job is to essentially get ourselves out of existence, right? Um, like you said, it, depending on what the reason is, if uh, different utilities and energy efficiency programs decided, well, this rebate thing, it's not working for us for one reason or another, or perhaps we've just sort of reached a market saturation where it's no longer necessary, 
there would be no point, right? I mean, there'd be no desire for a manufacturer to get on the list, perhaps, um, if they're not. Now, obviously, we look to, uh, to do other things and to be on the forefront uh, of helping out members. So that's why we have reached out and started a controlled QPL. So at some point, there's going to be saturation on the SSL, you know, on the luminaire side of things. Um, but we do try and provide as much of a service as possible where, where needed. So the next sort of step we see is in controls, but I think there's obviously still a lot a lot to go here, so at least several more years from everything I've seen well, of uh, incentives and rebates on the, the Luminaire side. Well, I'll, 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 I'll fire it over to Greg Eric to agree with me on this when I say that I think every lighting guy, as he goes through a long career in lighting at some point, thinks he's going to make a lot of money on lighting controls, and then it always ends up being a disappointment. Would you agree with that, Greg? Yeah, it's, it just gets to be almost tougher than uh, it's worth, you know, as far as putting together a project. And there's a, a lot of confusion in it, even though it, uh, the manufacturers try to make it sound real simple. When you actually sit down and go through it, it gets confusing and, and a lot deeper than they always intended to. So, yeah, I think there is some issue with that for sure. Yeah, I think I think the DLC is going to have a hard time carving out a big identity and controls. I mean, it either turns the lights off or it doesn't, I guess, no? I mean, what would you guys really assess for value with controls? Uh, well, you know, actually, it's, uh, it's pretty good timing for me to talk about it. I'm, I, I work purely on the SSL side, but uh, this past week, the DLC held its annual Controls Summit, which is hosted down uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, by one of our, our members, Georgia Power. Um, and one of the panels we had there was actually, uh, I think it was about five different utilities, uh, one of which was actually not a utility, but a... Uh, as someone from Clear Result who helps represent lots of utilities, and they were talking about all of the uh, incentive programs that they're starting. So undoubtedly, there's a very, very, very long way to go in controls, but I think I would liken it to, you know, LED technology for luminaires back perhaps around 2007 or sometime like that, where there is a lot to learn, uh, where there's going to be a learning curve out in the marketplace, not only for uh, pretty much along along the whole way for manufacturers, for uh, lighting designers, for end users, stuff like that. So, by no means uh, do we anticipate it being some you know overnight shift or anything like that. But certainly, we've done surveys of our members, and there are more and more that are looking to open up incentives and rebate programs for controls. That that would be interesting, Greg. Uh, do you have controls in your house? I do. Yes. Yeah. So do I. So I have a house full of lighting controls. I love lighting controls. Um, but I'll tell you this. Uh, I think the issue with the difference between the DLC, you know, governing fixture, um, you know, uh, quality and light output and this sort of thing coming out of a luminaire, the difficulty in controls has nothing to do with the product. You could have an awesome control, but if you don't have someone that knows how to commission it and calibrate it, um, so for example, we made a big run in Toronto at parking garage sensors. Like we built a really cool system on our own, just using different relays and 
and um, and then controlling the lights so that it, there was there was a bi level system. So I don't know, twenty percent of the lights in the garage stayed on, spread evenly throughout the garage, and eighty percent went off, and it was zoned. And we got pretty technical with it. I sent a lot of guys for training and all that, but we found that the payback just wasn't there. And uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, the bigger the garage the less the savings am i sabotaging the lighting business here greg am i am i doing a disservice to us no no not at all i, I mean right. it just when we when we data log these big parking garages what we found is that um you know people are in and out of these garages all day so the bigger the unless it's a commercial garage i'm talking about a residential parking garage here for a condominium or something if it was a big garage you only there was only real savings to be had on the third parking level simply because of, uh, and I'm blabbing on about lighting stuff here, back to the DLC in a minute, but I just think the, the issues with controls are you need, the, you need the kilowatt hour price to be like tripled, and you also need, um, you also need to uh, be sure that they work properly because if you have a, like if you have, um, a carbon monoxide gas failure, the uh, clearance system in a garage, there's all sorts of alarms that go off. But if the control, the lighting controls don't work, that presents a whole other series of problems that um, I'm not sure is easy to rectify as everybody thinks. Did I blab on too long about that, Brady, or do you, do you, do you not understand what I'm saying? No, I think you raise uh, a, a couple of great different points. Um, I should point out that uh, the first version or the first technical requirements for controls only dealt with interior lighting. Uh, one thing that's actually out for comment right now is the, the draft version 2.0, and that includes exterior lighting controls. One of the groups that I was personally facilitating at the, uh, at the control summit last week was talking about exterior lighting controls and saying, well, perhaps should the requirements be broken down by sort of end use? So perhaps a highway light is going to look differently than you know a neighborhood street light or something like that or a, a building accent light or something else that's outside so I, I, you're actually touching on a lot of different things so that, hang on uh, hang on let me ask you hang on let me let me ask you a question on that and are you saying that that there is some investigation into the controlling of highway and street lighting based on occupancy on public roads i you mean is the DLC doing or the no? But I, or as the market in general, and have you heard people saying, you know, gosh, we should start dimming our Highway 48 lights that goes north to thing because it's the the highway's unoccupied 80 percent of the time. Is there and we could have these sensors that would turn on the lights a mile ahead for you when you're coming that way. Is, are you saying that the people are talking about doing this kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's not quite, um, I know you might hear that, and I know I when I first heard it, you're kind of thinking of something clunky, like, you know, if you're familiar with walking down a, a grocery store in the freezer aisle or something that has the uh, the sensors there, and you can kind of see everything turn on in chunks. Obviously, that would be very distracting uh, if it is to be done on a street. But uh, certainly in cities, uh, for parking sensors, stuff like that. Um, it kind of goes into the whole idea of smart city, which is a, a whole concept unto itself. Um, but no, I, th I think it goes along with the IoT. I mean, th there's a whole heck of a lot of technology out there that I think we're just on the, the cusp of here now. Uh, uh, great, that, great. I have a yeah. oh, Go ahead, jump in, jump in. 
Yeah, I was going to jump in just because I, I was reading on the website as we're talking too, and I think maybe I misunderstood but at first, but as far as controls go, you're talking a network system, so not just an individual standalone control, but a total system for a facility. Yeah, sorry, I should say that it is, uh, right, network lighting controls. Okay. okay, so they have to be like uh, speaking to one another in some with some software is what you're saying. Yeah, essentially. Um, and, you know, the way our requirements work right now for those is that a system just has to have the capability of doing something. It doesn't mean, like, if you look at the required capabilities, it doesn't mean that, like, every single product that gets commissioned has to hit, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It just means that it has to be capable of doing so. Hmm. Hey, uh, Greg, does L, uh, LS Controls, um, does it cover network controls? Does it have a big, are, is that actually, is that out yet? From the, Just from the NAIL perspective, their educational programs, is it out yet? Yeah, so they're going to, NAIL is offering a control program. It, it's not uh, finished yet. I think it was just a matter of some voiceover work. Um, but it is going to touch on it. I don't know how defined yet. I haven't actually seen it in action. I've seen pieces of the program, and uh, yeah, it will touch on that for sure. So, so there, so there you go. Nailed is ahead of the market on that because uh, I think that I think if this is going to be successful, like you talk about stakeholders, um, I think if this is going to be successful, you need the integrators on the streets, the guys in the trenches, to really have a, a good understanding of how to deploy control safely into a multitude of different environments and. Um, it sounds like uh, is the DLC doing anything? Are they supporting any training programs like LS controls that Nailed's working on? Yeah, so we've actually after after the Nailed conference this year, which was you know fantastic, and I personally was thrilled to be there. And after I sort of reported back to our team, we only got you know nothing but positive feedback from from being there. Um, we have I didn't want to step on any toes too much. We are. Uh, ourselves developing not a training program the same thing it wouldn't be like the the controls program that nailed is developing but we uh, we have actually been in talks to sort of uh point to each other when uh taking on some training initiatives in the future we've got you know a training that's happening i think up in uh boise idaho with uh nia and, uh, blanking on the uh blanking on the acronym there but uh, we're doing a training program up there. I think because we are so early, and like you said, people in the trenches need to really un- be able to fully understand network lighting controls. Uh, I think initiatives like that are going to be a huge help. Um, just uh, to to get into some of it, I don't want to get too too picky with you here, but. As the, the the listeners will know, I do own a lighting company, and we do interact with the DLC every day. So, uh, Greg, do you have a complaints list like me, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> not? Not so much. I know. I, I mean, I, I know what you're going to say for the most part. So, why don't you rattle that off? Okay. So, um, my guys are saying that DLC four approved products are not appearing on your website until the until after April the first. It is actually uh, incorrect. So as okay. soon as the technical requirements for 4.0 came out last year, people could start uh, submitting products under 4.0 then, and they would appear as soon as you know as soon as they went through the qualification process. 
Um, and then there was basically, as there is every time that there's a, a new technical requirement, there's a sort of grace period. So there would be, I think it's usually somewhere around two or three months where you can submit either under the old qualification or the new qualification. Uh, and then you kind of go from there. Um, and then once that grace period ends, then you have to be under the new requirements. So everything since, I wish I had a date off the top of my head, uh, but around... I don't know, August to October, sometime of last year, everything actually had to be 4.0 or higher. Okay, so, so if you go online. Let sorry, me, go yeah, let me just ask you this then. So if if a if a if a uh, manufacturer is saying their products are DLC four on their price sheet, and it doesn't appear on your website, it is not DLC four. That is absolutely correct. I would highly, highly, highly recommend anyone who's, you know, if you're a distributor and you're looking to purchase a product from someone, I would do the research yourself. Look on the QPL. If you can't find it for whatever reason, you can obviously either go back to the manufacturer and say, hey, I'm going to need more evidence. Or if you think maybe you're just doing something wrong, you're maybe embarrassed, don't want to go back to the manufacturer, you can email info at designlights.org and say, hey, here's a cut sheet, or hey, here's a model number. Can you confirm whether or not this is qualified? Okay, so then it would just be an exception rather than the rule, like the odd time something may have gone wrong. So I think what's happening is uh, some of these manufacturers don't have a good cut and paste model on their spreadsheet, and they're pasting in areas maybe they shouldn't. Maybe that's what the issue is. Um, So uh, let me see if there's any other questions here. Uh, See, so I've got one on the control system. Okay, go for it. I just want to kind of go back to that. But um, so, what is what is a DLC stance on what the true benefit is to having a DLC verified control system? Sorry, so you're just kind of asking in general. You know, what's the what's what would be the, the reason of the manufacturer? Yeah. yeah um, like I said, we are in the infancy, or I shouldn't say we, but utilities and energy efficiency programs are sort of in the infancy of offering incentive and rebate programs. But certainly there are a handful of programs out there and certainly some of the largest as well. Um, Michael said earlier, you know, perhaps the cost of electricity has to be somewhere, you know, has to be a lot higher in order for it to be worthwhile. I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of times these initiatives are, uh, you know, heavily driven from places like California or the Northeast where uh, electricity costs are, are higher. So there are programs out there that are already offering uh, incentives for DLC qualified network lighting control systems. And hopefully there will be, you know, a lot more in the next year or two. We've done surveys and it looks like there's going to be more, but obviously we're still in sort of proving ground phase as far as utilities go before they really want to make the jump, or I should say before more start to make the jump in the offering their own programs. Now, how do you see that rebate working out? Is it going to be based on the energy savings? And then follow-up question is how it's proven. I know it can be after the fact, but when you actually do the job up front, how do you figure out what that rebate might be? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I don't, certainly don't mean to dodge the question or anything like that, but it is completely dependent on the programs themselves. Um, so, you know, for, perhaps in the future, <laughs> we could put you in touch with, uh, you know, a member or something like that uh, to get you an idea of how some of those programs are, are running. But I am just not that familiar with, with the individual pro- the existing programs that are out there and how energy savings are calculated. But I know that is sort of a, um, 
I don't want to say contentious point, but it's perhaps a little bit of a contentious point between manufacturers and members trying to agree on where that savings is. The ultimate goal will be for the manufacturers then to be able to, um, or, re, or utilities to be able to rebate the DLC rated network system versus potentially not rebating one that's not DLC. Yeah, that's correct. So I mean, it, it would ultimately end up looking something like the the SSL side there. And sure. off the top of my head, I, I believe a handful of them are going from uh, savings per square foot or something like that. Um, but again, I'm not not all that familiar with those details. Hey, Greg, okay. have you ever done? Yeah. Did you go to Did you go to sensor switch training in Wallingsford, Connecticut? I did actually. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That was probably we probably just missed each other by a week. Um, right. <laughs> the do you remember the data loggers? Did you ever use their data loggers ever? I did. I did uh, two projects where I attempted it. Yeah, I did. I did about fifteen with them. I did a lot, and then I bought my own um, data loggers because they remember you had to rent theirs and send it back to them, and they send you the data and all that. Yeah. Do you remember sure. that? Like they wouldn't let you. They sent you back a PDF. Remember. And you, yep. you couldn't really look at the data on your own. So I bought my own and got the software, blah, blah, blah. I've done quite a bit of data logging. And a lot of times people think that they're going to save um, way more than they're going to save with controls. Because when you factor in a reasonable time delay for a space so that lights aren't going on and off while someone's actually there, some of these spaces, it's like 10 or 15 minutes. You, need, you know what I mean, Greg? you got to set those controls with a long time delay. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you, for controls really to make sense, you need a lot of hours, and that's common sense. But um, when you're in an office setting or something where it might be 40 hours a week, that's a tough sell. Yeah, it is a tough sell. And, you know, parking garages, too. Like, I dataloged a lot of big parking garages where everyone was convinced that, you know, they were going to save so much money with these controls in the garage. When we actually ended up crunching it, I mean, in the in the the top deck of this one garage, there was the lights would never have been off, and then the second deck was maybe like ten percent, and then P three was about fifty percent. So as you got a little bit further down into the parking garage, because you remember P three, a guy in P three has to go through P two and P one to get out, right? Whereas a person in P one just leaves. So P one is busier than P two, and P two is busier than P three, and so on. But even, you know, to justify the amount of work it would have been to do a, a good, safe, safe controls job? Because, I don't know, Greg, do you run around slamming uh, lighting controls on the end of fixtures in parking garages? So it just controls the area around it? you do that much? I do that more so than a network system, but not, not that often. It's yeah. At the customer's request. You know, I mean, in a, in a public, yeah, it's kind of like the customer's request because I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about... It, you know, if that's a safe way to do controls in a parking garage, you're kind of, if somebody's walking through the light, walking through, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I think the whole deck of a garage should come on when somebody enters that space. Yeah, we do by level usually, if anything. So you have a minimal level of light, and then you just have more when the motion sensed. So you do, like you do every other fixture, or you do three lamps out of four or something like that? Yeah, or if it's an LED fixture, you just have bi-level dimming so that it cuts down to 50% or 30% and then up to 100 when motion sensed. Do you think these direct-fit LED tubes are going to burn out a lot with controls? My gut is yes. They, yeah, I mean, they claim that they're they're meant to uh, you know, be on and off as frequently as you want. But, you know, like any machine or any device, the more you 
turn it on and off, it seems like it should have some effect on its life. Well, I'll tell you this, and we're off topic here, Brady. We'll bring the DLC back in here in a minute. Don't worry. But I, I, I found that the programmed rapid start fluorescent ballasts helped a lot with preserving lamp life in a high switch application. Um, and I found if there was a high switch application with instant start and it really uh, killed the lamps fast. Did you notice the same thing, Greg, or I don't know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, several years ago now when we were dealing with a lot of that, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't hear much about that in programmed rapid start anymore, do you? Um, <laughs> no. So, so, I mean, I don't know. where. So what would make, what could, uh, Brady, what could make a DLC certified control system any better than any other control system? when so much importance is involved in the implementation and the commissioning of the devices by the installer. Yeah, uh, again, not trying to sidestep. I just could not, I, I don't work on the control side, so I can speak very generally to it. Uh, I'd be, be happy to try and get you a, a more detailed answer there, but I'll have to, uh, I'll have to plead ignorance as far as some of the, the details of the, the program there. Why don't we do like a, a DLC certified installer? And Greg and Michael could be your first members. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> I think I've been set up here. <laughs> yeah, we got you now. No, I, I really think, like, listen, I mean, Greg, can you work with any of the majors' controls? It doesn't matter to you if it's Hubble or Leviton or Sensor Switch or WhatsApp. Or do you care? No, not necessarily at all. No, like to us, like the, the actual control itself is a very the all the knowledge is i have i have one and i have one installer who's just amazing with controls and um we rely on him heavily to just without a design without anything to go into a parking garage or whatever and wire up a low voltage control system that has scout sensors in the hallway so the lights come on about two seconds before someone actually enters the garage and stuff like that so i think you guys should forget about the controls and concentrate on the installers you could start with nailed yeah, I mean, I certainly think, like I said, training in general is going to be a, a huge part of controls because it is so so early on and people aren't, you know, the controls that have been out there, people aren't installing them properly. It's just, I mean, it's just like the introduction of any new technology, right? I mean, when, not, the, not to compare controls to, uh, you know, CFLs or anything like that, but, you know, you saw some growing pains and stuff like that as, and then people got used to seeing really crappy CFLs at the beginning of it all and then kind of gave up on it. So obviously there's always a concern like that something like that will happen with controls where perhaps uh, there's a perfectly good control system not installed well and uh, someone essentially gave up or decommissioned it or whatever. So I think everyone's sort of really sensitive sensitive to that and I think that's, uh, that's certainly you know an area to explore in the future. Greg, would you would you pay money to the DLC to be uh, to make Premier Lighting a DLC certified controls partner? If it meant more money for me, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think like let's. I mean, I honestly, I don't, I don't mean to you know kick a dead cat here, but um, to me, it's obvious that the the whole the whole crux of the controls game is. Uh, with the engineers, architects, but also if you want to get the existing environment involved is with the, the guys who are selling them on the street. So there you go. Um, Gr Greg, you got any other questions? I'm kind of, that yeah, kind of cleared me out there guess, for a minute. I need to take a break. Yeah, just on the, um, on the product side, when you guys come up with the technical requirements, 
is there i assume it's a group of members that do that but how does that process work or who actually sits down and defines what is dlc approved or should be yeah so you're just talking about sort of policy development in general you know te- how the technical requirements are coming yes. out yep. yeah no i think that's really that's a really important question um and one thing that we've tried to do particularly in the last year or so is put a lot more information online for how that process works and you know what the sort of public wish lists are and stuff like that um but obviously we kind of get feedback 24 7 from everyone right so we get it from manufacturers we get it from members and uh, we sort of come up with these wish lists, and those are all published uh, online, both for like things like requested categories, but also uh, potential policy revisions. So just the way, you know, perhaps different ways to, to make it easier to submit a product or something like that. So those things are periodically uh, prioritized, and then uh, once those are identified, it kind of goes to the technical committee, which is made up of uh, different members. From there, uh, we take that feedback from them, develop a draft, and then that goes out for stakeholder comment. Um, sometimes it goes out, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but it goes out at least once, often twice, sometimes, I'd say rarely more more than that, but certainly uh, it will go back and forth for feedback a handful of times, and then eventually it gets it gets finalized and published. So basically, uh, feedback is taken from everywhere, both from industry and from uh, members of the technical committee and, and other DLC members as well. Who, who I see this. Go ahead, oh, sir. Go ahead, Greg. Yep. I, I I see this industry advisory committee. Do they have anything to do with that? Uh. No, I think if they did, it would run into some huge antitrust things, uh, some huge antitrust issues. So the industry advisory committee is really there to make sure that industry, you know, meaning manufacturers and stuff like that, really have a, a greater voice. Um, so the, that's good that you brought that up. The way it's, or the people who make that up are different manufacturers of different sizes. So we essentially call them the, the larger ones. And by that, we mean the people who have the most products on the QPL. And then we also have some smaller manufacturers. I think that's defined by something like 250 employees or less. Um, and then we also have lighting designers from uh, each coast. And then we also have some lighting controls people. So that is a group that meets quarterly, um, you know, sort of gets updates about the program and, and can provide feedback from sort of uh, an industry an industry perspective. It's not really, we'd run into real big issues if it was just a place for people to give, you know, to, to pull the program's ear uh, a little bit and, and give what they specifically want. So it's definitely a, a much wider uh, industry, industry focus. Now, why not look at uh, the people who actually sell to the end users, like a distributor side? I see many. I'm looking at it. You have top manufacturers, small manufacturers, lighting designers, and control manufacturers. So nowhere in there is it really the people that are, a lot of times, dealing with the end users who really have a good handle on what the marketplace needs. Um, wouldn't that make sense from your guys' standpoint to have that represented? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point. Um, after. 
like I sort of briefly mentioned earlier, this last year was DLC's first time uh, being at the Nailed Conference, and I think it was uh, really well received on both ends, and I think we want to move in the direction of having more communication there uh, with groups like distributors. So the Industry Advisory Committee was actually just created, or 2016 was the first year that it got kicked off, and people are essentially on... Uh, sort of two-year terms, if you want to think of that. Um, so I don't think anything would change here for the rest of 2017, but I think in the f in the future, I know I personally have already uh, sort of lobbied for it after I attended the Nailed Conference to, to get some more representation in uh, amongst distributors. So we'll see how that goes. I would certainly, if, if people of you or anyone else listening to the podcast uh, wants to provide feedback Easily, 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 the best way to do so is email info at designlife.org and just get it written down, get it on the record, because all that stuff is looked at, all that stuff is collected, and uh, no one's really going to move on anything if, if, if no, one, no one says it and puts it down to action. So certainly, I think that'd be a good thing for, for you and, and anyone else interested to do. Can I, um, Brady, that document that you were talking about that you send out, uh, one, two, three times a year. Was that two or three times a year? Uh, the, sorry, what document? The, uh, when you're, when you're, what was it that, I can't remember what it was called now, but when you said you send it over to the stakeholders and they review it, that document. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just meant, uh, so as part of the stakeholder input process, anytime that a new policy comes out, we go out for public comment. Okay. What would be the size? What would be the size of one of those documents? Like how, how many pages w would it be that you would put out? Is it 100 pages? Is it 10 pages? Is it five? Is it 250? How many pages would it be? Yeah, no, good, good question. A as a sort of, uh, you know, ballpark, I'd say it. it it really depends. Not anywhere near 100, not anywhere near 50. Uh, we're talking probably closer to maybe 10 or something like that. So it's an update. It really depends. What's that? It's an update. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it depends. So like when we did 4.0, you know, we were looking at efficacy updates and other things like that. Um, obviously, we don't want to bundle that with a bunch of other smaller changes. We're sensitive about doing too much at once. So... It, it varies, um, but it's certainly not uh, it's not some massive, massive document. It's something that anyone could easily take uh, 20, 30 minutes and, and go through themselves. Does the DLC have any Chinese members, like members that are that are um, solely uh, domiciled on the Chinese mainland? Uh, no, all of our members are utilities and energy efficiency programs in the U.S. No, manufacturers, sorry, manufacturers. Any manufacturer members that are Chinese? Uh, yeah, so, so just to clarify, because we've sort of had these mix-ups in the past. So we use the term members specifically re to refer to utilities and energy efficiency programs. So those are only North American, okay. uh, just U.S. and Canada. We do have, obviously, tons of manufacturers who participate um, in the DLC who qualify products and stuff like that from uh, who are domiciled in China. I think as far as like the IAC goes, Industry Advisory Committee, off the top of my head, I can't think of any manufacturers that are based there. Um, but obviously there's a huge presence on the QPL um, just you know, due to international uh, manufacturing and how that all works. Sure. Now, Greg and I went to China in 2014. We did a little tour of lighting companies. That was a good time, eh, Greg? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let me ask you this. Is 
if a if a Chinese and somebody might already know the question of this, if a Chinese there's some huge Chinese factories over there that make a lot of lights quick, and you'll be standing there and down one line is going I'm not going to say any brands, down one line <laughs> is going one major brand, and down the other line beside it is is another major brand, and then the next line is another, and they make each line makes thirty thousand lamps a day or whatever it is, right? Um, and do each one of those manufacturers have to recertify the same product with the DLC? Or does the DLC... So, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, you, you get my question, right? Yeah, certainly. Um, so we have a couple different ways to qualify products. So people can either have the products tested themselves, uh, you know, by a lab under their own name and everything like that with its own unique test data. And those application fees cost a little bit more because obviously there's more analyzing of, of every test report. Um, but then there's also private labeling or what we call private labeling. Other people know as multiple listing. There's a bunch of you know, different terms for it. Um, in that case, people are essentially uh, stating that the products are exactly the same in design and performance. Um, they have a few other sort of hoops to jump through if you want to think of it that way and then they can get their product qualified under their own brand name, and that is much, much cheaper uh, to do. Um, so there's a couple different ways you can you can get on the QPL. Obviously, multiple listing or private labeling is, is one of them. The uh, How many analysts do you guys have? Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I would say reviewing applications, if I had to guess, somewhere around uh, 20, something like that. Okay. So to the application, and are they backlogged? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, there's been a couple times in the last, I'd say, three or four years. Usually it's around uh, holidays, so either around Christmas, New Year's, or uh, sometimes, I think, Chinese New Year, because we'll get an influx. Things like that, um, we might announce beforehand that the review timeline is getting pushed back a day or two. But no, other than that, everything uh, everything's out there meeting our, uh, our sort of published deadlines there. Those, those are pretty pretty rare instances where we've changed anything, and I don't think I don't think we even did it once in 2016. Hmm. There you go, Gregor. You want to jump in with something here, or we have we come to the end of our show? Yeah, you know, I think I don't know if I have anything else offhand. I'm going to thank you, Brady, for, for coming on the show and representing the DLC and, and helping us get a better understanding of, of your role and your challenges. And, and um, Greg, thank you for coming on as the ambassador to the DLC from Nailed. And I guess that's a show. All right. All right no Bye, problem. Greg.